Hello, welcome to another Rahalastava. This week with Alice Fraser. Look, I'm up and about. Still in my hospital room. Jeremy Paxman thought that I really had this in my house when I used this as the background for his upcoming episode. It's only pretend, look. It's not real. Um, welcome, anyway. I'm feeling uh, pretty good, all things considered. And uh, on the mend, uh, Rahalastava is continuing despite uh, my recent loss. Um, on Wednesday nights, usually at 8pm, uh, some good guests coming up, including one secret one that I'm not going to put on Twitch that's just going to drop and you're going to be surprised by, because that's just the kind of guy I am, my fine friends. Um, and, uh, yes, do keep supporting, uh, the podcast. If you just listen to the audio with the adverts, that's a big help, or just tell your friends to have a listen. Every single listen counts, my fine, fine friends. You can become a badger at gofasterstripe.com slash badges. I don't need to tell you that. You know that. Um, I'm taking a little bit easy, uh, though uh, feeling pretty good on the whole. Anyway, let's sit back, relax and enjoy Rahalastapa with Alice Fraser. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man who can't believe he's going to be talking to someone in Australia. It's Richard Herring. Hello, it's me. Welcome to uh, another edition of Richard Herring's Let's See Tomorrow podcast. Because we're going to. It's tomorrow in Australia. and I'm going to find out what's happening in the future. No one has thought about this, but I can find out what's what the results of sports matches are. I can be like Biff from Back to the Future. And because we can now communicate immediately... I can then go and bet on stuff that hasn't happened here yet. So I'm really excited about that. Um, though I was hanging around with the Wiggles. Uh, for, I made it very Australian three theme today. Who are the, you know, the Wiggles. I don't need to explain them to you, to you who they are. Uh, they call it Rahalastapa. So I don't know if that's going to catch on. They are generally cool. Emma from the Wiggles, if you're watching, I'm happy to leave my wife and family to spend the rest of my life with you, however long I've got. So... Uh, don't tell my wife I said that, Emma from the Wiggles. But I think you're great and you've, you know, you've livened up the, the difficult years of childcare. I've, I've said too much. Um, look, uh, I want to uh, dedicate uh, today's podcast to a great friend of mine, Ian Pattinson, uh, who uh, very sadly died this week. He was a writer that we met when we did a week ending. And uh, even though he was like 15 years older than me and Stu, uh, and quite a lot of the people on the weekending writer staff were suspicious, right, and, and annoyed by us, rightly, because we were young upstarts. Uh, Ian Pattinson was always so supportive, and I've seen him over the years, and I'm heartbroken uh, that he's left us. Um, you'd always just see him at the light entertainment Christmas parties. We'd always have a chat, uh, and I put the picture of the Fist of Fun annual up because we liked him so much. We put him on the front cover of the uh, Fist of Fun annual. He's just. That's him with the moustache there. Uh, so, um, yeah, I didn't realise he was 15 years old than us. He must have thought we were terrible, stupid children. But it was a horrible time working on Weekending and, and working in the same room as Ian was one of the great things. He went on to work on a lot of stuff, but sorry, I haven't a clue. He wrote all of the, like the Lionel Blair jokes, which are absolutely supreme. So, um just wanted to dedicate it to him. Look, apart from that, this week, uh, apart from arguing with Apple for about two hours, two days rather, trying to um, get them to repair my broken computer, it's been a... I, I, let's not get into it. Just in case Apple want to sponsor the podcast at some point, and then there'll be this one, me saying how shit they've been. But in the end, they were good. So thank you to David from Apple, who's helped me out in the end. Um, this week, it was my daughter's birthday, and she got a kite. Uh, and... Uh, we took it out the day after a, a birthday party um, to fly it. Like, and I've never actually successfully flown a kite, I don't think. Uh, and we didn't really know how to put it together. Uh, we didn't know how it worked. It was freezing cold. But we spent 40 minutes together, father and daughter, working on this thing. And that is my daughter. There's a picture here if you're watching the video. Flying a kite in the sky in the icy winds of Hertfordshire. Uh, it was amazing. She was she was like a natural. She's like I think she could be a superhero. Uh, when when I said how are you doing this so well, she was swooping around. She was making it do all the stuff uh, and stay up there. It stayed up about four minutes on this on this occasion. 
and she said the wind likes me and it doesn't like you daddy and that's why I'm doing well but it was a it was a beautiful seminal moment of parenthood where we spent 40 minutes together working something out together and made it work and I'm 53 and I think that's the first time I've ever successfully been in charge of a kite I may be wrong and I remember being obsessed with kites as a kid and my mum and dad don't remember this I wrote about this in my blog and my auntie Jean who isn't my real auntie is just a friend of my mum's is because she's called Jean Pickup that's her name and um, she, we went to the we went to the Green Shield stamp stock shop which is predates Argos you used to get you kids won't remember any of this you used to get stamps every time you bought petrol and you could stuck those in an album. And if you've got another album, you could go and swap them at Argos for some stuff. And I got an orange kite. And I don't remember anything about it apart from getting the kite. And the fact that my anti-gene pickup was double parked and stopped by a policeman. And when she told him her name, he thought she was taking the piss and got cross. Because she thought she was, she was joking that her name was pickup. That's my kite story. So it's I kind of... I hope my daughter remembers this day. It's, it's one of those things that maybe she'll remember this day. Actually flying a kite. It was... Uh, the, the wind is her friend. What more can you say than that? It was, it was beautiful. Um, so anyway, uh, please keep supporting uh, all the podcasts in Becoming a Badger. You know how to do that. Or just watch the stuff on Twitch. Uh, some stuff's going on at the moment, and I might not be... I'm going to try and keep Rahula Stupa definitely going, and the Snooker definitely going. Twitch of Fun, episode 30, tomorrow at Thursday, 8pm, if you're watching this live. Uh, we might take a little break from Twitch of Fun just to, uh, to re-evaluate my life. But uh, we might not. You never know. Thank you very much to everyone who's watching that. Do check it out. It's all on YouTube if you want to catch up. 30 fucking episodes of it. So, look, my guest this week is in Australia... It's the where she is. It's not the 17th of February like it is everywhere else in the world. It's the 18th of February. And it's breakfast time. It doesn't make any sense to me. She's probably best known. I put kangaroos in the background. Look at that. Especially for her to so make her feel happy. And it's the city. Oh, fucking hell. Why are, we doing, why are we living in England? I imagine that's just what like, all of Australia is like. Some sea and some kangaroos and nothing else. I don't know why I imagine that. I've been there and know it's very different. She is probably best known for her appearances on the Knock Knock episode of Whovian, which I think you probably are all very excited about, aren't you, Doctor Who fans out there? I don't know what it is. Please welcome Alice Fraser, ladies and gentlemen. There she is in Australia. Hi. Wow. Hello. How are you? I'm very good. How is it morning there? I know you're very clever and it's the night time here. How does that? We're on the same planet, right? How's that working? I mean, look, I don't know. I woke up, I pushed some kangaroos out of the way to get to my podcasting studio. Okay. I swam across the channel of the beach that I live on okay. uh, to get here. Um, I, I don't. I, I think it's just the time that it is here, and yeah. you're the ones who are a little behind. Oh, is that it? That's... So anything good happened? Anything to look forward to on the... I mean, I know it's early on the 18th, but has anything happened this morning there that we, we can be looking forward to in the news tomorrow? Well, it's a very nice day here. Okay. Uh, what you can look forward to from Australia in the news tomorrow is nothing because Facebook has just banned Australia from posting uh, links or sharing links on Facebook of the news. Wow. Uh, there was a standoff between the government and between Facebook about uh, whether basically media regulation, yeah. um, whether we should pay, whether Facebook should pay for the use of news media. Okay. Um, it's an, actually a fairly nice principle here. The reason it's come through the government is because it's being funded by Rupert Murdoch. It always makes you suspicious of a thing. So you're not quite sure who's on the right side of this ethically. Uh, but it looks like no news is no, good news. No news. Well, it's also or, the spoilers because no you're news. ahead. So it's like you know, Australians <laughs> spoil it. New Year, you spoil it. You get New Year first and all the fireworks go off. And we go, oh, there's a New Year coming. Yeah. And it ruins it for us, the surprise. So. Yeah. Good on Rupert Murdoch. On the well other done. hand, yeah. if you're looking at New Zealand and Australia as like, oh, if the apocalypse is going to happen, it's going to happen here first, incorrecto. <laughs> We've managed to dodge. You have, you've done very well. Well, well. I was, you were just saying before we, we came on it. What I like about you and I, Alice, I wanted to say, is that we've probably had three conversations in our lives of any meaningful length. And they've all been recorded for podcasts, and that, and I'm including this one. <laughs> so what I would quite like is today. to never, <laughs> never meet you outside of a recording situation. Everything, even the things we were talking about beforehand, have been recorded 
probably. So uh, I, I think nearly nearly all of the things we've said to each other, apart from when I passed you in the meadows and went, but then I don't think we even spoke. I passed in the meadows and, and waved at you before I talked to you on the Edinburgh Fridge podcast. Let, that isn't that amazing? That I don't think we should ever. I don't think we should ever no, actually have a non. We should never meet unsupervised. <laughs> I mean, maybe that should be the case with all my conversations, especially with women. Just make sure I've got a recording. Uh, but yes, no, it's uh, it's it's it's. Uh, we were saying how the Melbourne Festival might uh, looks like it's happening, which is absolutely mind blowing to me. Look. I, I can't believe in it. I feel I have no faith in the Melbourne Comedy Festival happening. It's more than a month away. And at this point, anything that's more than a month away is completely non-existent in my yeah. head. So I'm at, in this odd position of having to plan for it, you know, book, booking and everything and sort of figuring out advertising and everything while still being almost entirely certain that it's not going to happen. Yes. I mean, you know, the moment I locked it in, you know, I sent my email and it was like registration and they said they confirmed my registration and then immediately Melbourne went into a five day lockdown. Yes. So. But basically. They're out of that lockdown now. But, you know, what can happen? But anyway. basically Australia is sort of you're you're allowed to do stuff, right? They'd be basically allowed to do is it, what how, how lockdown is a lockdown. And when you're not locked down, are you able to get to sports? events and theatres and things is that all so this is difficult for me to assess because in my day-to-day -day life I don't go anywhere or do anything okay. um but <laughs> so I'm not like I'm not like oh my classic nightclub night is back again where I get to grind up against strangers that is not I, I don't know about that um there is some comedy happening we've been for a month in New South Wales which is the state I'm in we've gone for a month with no community transmission and so we just wear masks on public transport and and other than that it's fine god in heaven oh, yeah, I'm finding this uh this this third lockdown in the UK particularly difficult weirdly I think it's you know, it's sort of, I suppose it's the tantalising prospect of, if the kids just went to school, it would be fine. Uh, <laughs> it's having to look after your own kids all the time. That was never the deal. I, I was happy to no. get them to five and then, and I've got one to five. <laughs> one, of six, into the world. one of them's three, but he can go to nursery and then bang, that's it. I've done my job and now I've got to carry on. Yeah, but parenting is a lot harder when you have to ignore your children to their own faces. <laughs> <laughs> uh it is it is but you know we, we're getting by i just come up in the attic and do don't play myself at snooze they're usually asleep sometimes they come and join in it's fun i like that i mean they're usually asleep when you're playing the snooker i assume rather than just as a state of being my children how are your children usually asleep <laughs> they're, usually asleep. they're usually asleep when i do my podcasting stuff which is in the evening time but my daughter my i do a puppet show alice don't ask i've started doing ventriloquism of puppets I mean, you can't. Oh, so you're one person. You're one person that can't criticize me because you podcast everything in your life as well. Uh, and <laughs> early on, she got very obsessed with the puppets, and she would deliberately stay awake and then sneak up. So she's a character in that show because she's sort of behind the green screen. As long as she doesn't actually get in, it's uh, it's oh no, I've given away. It's a green screen rather than me being in Australia. Damn, oh, what a no. giveaway! Uh, tell me about before we move on what the Hoovian, what the knock knock episode of Hoovian was. Do you remember being on Whovian? I do remember being on Whovians, which is a sort of a post-Doctor Who, you know, chat about it show here in Australia. Uh, and they brought me on, I assume, because they were uh, looking for female Doctor Who fans. And I would not necessarily categorise myself as a female Doctor Who fan. I watched some Doctor Who and I thought it was fine. Um, no offence to people. The problem is not that I don't like Doctor Who. The problem... No, 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 I will explain and you will forgive me. Uh, my problem is I do not watch television on my own ever. So I was brought up without television, so it never occurs to me to watch television. So my, my television watching is entirely dictated by the tastes of whoever I'm with at the time. So if we get three episodes into, so for example, I was watching A Handmaid's Tale, The Handmaid's Tale, whichever, whatever it's called, uh, with a friend, and we got three episodes in, he's like, I can't stand the distress of uh, women and children. It's not my, doesn't, not my bag, uh, which is weird because his favourite kind of shows are all like sad sex workers of the cocaine underworld, you know, um, he, he likes those kind of documentaries, anyway, they couldn't handle uh, Handmaid's Tale, um, 
And so my reaction was not, oh, well, I'll watch it on my own. It's like, oh, I'll never see more than three episodes of The Handmaid's Tale. And indeed, I have not. So uh, when I was watching Doctor Who, it was when I was in university and my uh, I had a roommate who was a Doctor Who fan. So I watched a bunch of Doctor Who then and I quite liked it. And I thought, oh, I'd like to keep watching that. And then I finished university and that was the end of that. It's not that good. It's a hard life. I've, I've, I've been in one of the audio adventures. <laughs> I, I was killed by a Cyberman. So I'm I'm allowed to say I'm allowed to be on. I I I find it too confusing. I don't know how kids like. I remember watching it when I was a kid, and being terrified of it, of course, and being slightly obsessed with Joe. Terrifying so, as a child. Terrifying. Yeah. Well, we tried to watch some with my with my kids, and they were much too scared. I think it's more scary now, um, but I just I'm confused about. You've got to concentrate quite hard, and it also doesn't really quite make sense because it's made. It's, well, it's made also up. always difficult when when you have a property that was invented for children being sort of adopted by adults because yeah. then you have attention like you know my little pony or whatever when yeah. you have a majority adult audience it changes the vibe wow we've really lost we've lost we had 222 viewers and now we've got five they've all gone they've all been very upset by that <laughs> i'm um, so sorry that's all right um, I was uh, look I have had a great day as i said i, I do enjoy re- researching this uh, show every week because I get to listen to loads of stuff that I haven't necessarily always heard and in go in depth and it, the the depth of stuff you do is insane I thought I did a lot of podcasts I thought Izzy Lawrence did a lot of podcasts but you do the most podcasts I think you must be the winner of most different podcasts that are running all the time and aren't just nonsense about with puppets and playing yourself at snooker is what I do but you, they're, they're proper content filled podcasts yeah i think i wrote about 60 hours of comedy last year um which is a lot when you think about it like that it's a lot but at the time it was just 15 minutes a day so that's doable so was that the last post which you so you do you do a uh, you did a daily podcast for well you explain what it is the last post, now running monthly, uh, was a 366-day project, a daily satirical news podcast set in an alternate dimension. And um, that was uh, a lot of work. Uh, and then, of course, because I am incapable of doing things the easy way, I set myself little challenges within that. Um, like, for example, every day I did a different ad for half a glass of water. And that was delightful. It was an amazing thing because it completely knocked my imposter syndrome on the head. You know, that fear that you have of, of that's the last joke I'll ever write. I'm never going to write another joke. Just that, to know that you keep digging, keep digging, keep digging at the bottom of the well. When you think the well is dry, there is always another half glass of water. And presumably you plan to do this before COVID and before lockdown. So it feels like a very lockdown idea, yes. but it was just something that caused lockdown maybe i was kicking myself in january and february of last year just being like i'm spending so much time writing this stupid show everyone else is getting their festival shows ready i've done one preview this is dreadful i'm going to be so far behind for melbourne i'm going to be so far behind for edinburgh and then all of a sudden overnight you know and i'd be you know also the other thing was savage my special was coming out on amazon prime in the middle of the melbourne comedy festival so no one was going to watch it Overnight, I went from being incredibly like worried and frustrated to being the luckiest person in the whole world, and I, I have not stopped uh, thanking my lucky stars since. I think it is interesting when you set yourself challenges, and you know, like with the, the stupid podcasts I do that are around clearing stones from a field or playing myself at snooker, um, which are more ad libbed, I think, than, than than what it sounds like you're doing. But it's but it's like by limiting yourself almost. You you have to be much more inventive in what in in what you're doing, and you will find ways to make it interesting. So even if you've got not you know no real different things happening within the the, the boundaries of the, the podcast, you'll find a way to make it interesting, and you will find ways to push things onwards. And you create. I presume you created lots of little subplots and 
catchphrases yeah, or whatever that and that the, sort of thing. Just it the... was so interesting. It yeah. was so interesting because we recorded um, four with the same co-host, but they weren't Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They would be this Wednesday, next Thursday, the Monday after that, and the Friday after that. And so you'd have to have in your head these like timelines of where the fake news in this alternate <laughs> universe was going to be and where you thought the real news was going to be. Like it was, it was so much fun. And it was that thing of like, I really believe in creative constraint. I really believe in the power of that for two reasons. First of all, um, because I think uh, it, it, it opens you up to new things. Like, you know, like a, a sonnet is always going to be more difficult than a free verse, but often will be nicer. Um, but, but I think also you're running your own race. Like, I, I don't have enough confidence to think that I'm good at things as a whole sure. like I'm, I'm not good at comedy i'm not a good comedian but i am the best daily satirical news <laughs> podcaster in an alternate dimension in the whole world well the second thing's true the first I'm thing the is not true that. the first thing is not true you mm-hmm. are a very good comedian there's a lot of your stuff i mean there's again there's a podcast where you're which are just audio versions of your your trilogy of shows and they're very good yes. your ted your ted talk which obviously uses a little bit from one of those is just better than any TED Talk I've seen because it's got proper, like, incredibly witty jokes that make really good points in it. It's 10 minutes long and it's properly funny and then it's properly like, oh, God, you know, this is making me think and this is deep and this is sad within 10 minutes, which you also do in all your stand-up shows over a bit of a, a longer time as well. But, no, you're very, you are, I think, um, I hadn't seen that much of your stand-up I have to say it before, and uh, and I have, have largely listened to it. I have watched some of it, um, and I think uh, you're ex- you're extremely good. So I won't accept you saying you're not a good comedian, but also do it. Well, you know, thank but, you. but pushing yourself in that way, it's it's you know, it's interesting. It's interesting to push yourself. Did it drive you slightly mad? Is that why you've gone monthly, or did you just want to carry carry on? Because it's that Spike Milligan thing of. I, I I did a thing called As It Occurs to Me, where I wrote a brand new stand up and sketch show every week that we would then record, Whoa. you know, rehearse. But then it was, re- we could read it out, but it was, you know, it was, it was an audio only thing. Uh, but it was about my life and m- as much as um, the news and everything. Uh, and that drove me nuts. And I did sort of eight eight weeks of that in a row. But doing every single day, was it, was it, did it get to you or was it? It was, it was liberating. Uh, it got to me. I, the, the whole project was meant to be for the leap year, 366 days. Now we've gone monthly mainly because like people kept wanting to listen to it. Um, so there's a couple of reasons why we didn't keep doing it more frequently. One is like, I need a life. Uh, the other one is, um, that there was some kind of behind the scenes. Originally it was funded by Sony and something else. And then it got sort of all that kind of complicated behind the scenes stuff that I'm probably not even allowed to mention. Um, and then the other thing is that now I'm doing a, a different, a different spin-off show, a, a weekly spin-off show. But yeah, it was the, we, we, we planned it for the whole year, 366 days. We ended the world on the last day of the year. So now our monthly is, is set in the post-apocalyptic wasteland, which is also quite a lot of fun. Um, that's its own thing, I think. Uh, but yeah, I love, I love creative constraint. I never talk about my relationships on stage, ever. That's, that's a thing. And it means that, and it's mainly because when I first started out, that was a, a very much a trend among the female comedians of Australia. And some of them were doing it brilliantly and others were not doing it well. But it was a, a commonality and almost every comedian would come up and say, oh, like, why am I single or my boyfriend this or my husband this? And so I said, I'm never going to talk about any of my relationships on stage ever. And it's been so good because it just means that you have to think, well, another angle. It can't just be like, how am I feeling today about what my partner or non-partner has done or not done? You just go, okay. Or if they do do something, then you have to think of an angle in on it that's more kind of general to humanity or how to translate it. Although the stand-up's incredibly personal still. So it is, It is. you know, and obviously a lot of it revolves around your mother uh, who was uh, ill for a long time and then has now sadly died. Uh, but you're very, very open about that. And, and I mean, that's, you know, again, it's something uh, I'm interested in and um, as a comedically to sort of explore more serious topics through humour, but also to explore your family relationships. And that's, I mean, you do have on the podcast, at least you have your mum uh, being recorded talking about 
whether she's minds you using her life and uh, and it's incredibly important within that first show what what she says obviously without giving too much well so yes that that it was very important in that show that she give consent to me talking about it but also the challenge for savage which is the show you're talking about was to see uh, actually how how much i could convey the emotional reality and how but without telling that much of the actual story like i never describe my mum i never i only quote her once all of her presence in the show is through her own words through the recording i have so it's it's for me the show is how much can i give with without giving too much away without exposing my family for example my twin brother never appears in any of my comedy he's a massive part of my life uh, but he's asked not to be in my comedy and so uh, he's not yeah I, th- I would do i'd put i'd put him in if it was me <laughs> but i actually i i sort of i had my i had a version of my brother in something which he really didn't like so i i don't i don't really talk about my brother anymore so uh, it is you sort of find it out uh, by doing it, if you do it, you know the people who like it and the people who don't like it. Even though I was, I was trying to flatter him, he was still uh, annoyed by it. But uh, that's the way these things go. But yeah, it's it's. I think I don't know. I say again. I think this was before before we started uh, recording. But it's it's such an intellectual comedy you have, and you seem to have a gr- such a grasp of a lot of different subjects, and you seem to have your finger in a lot of facts. I mean, you're interested in. In facts, it seems to be you know, there's a, there's what well, the the bit about just saying the when you're brushing your teeth, think about that that that's the only exposed part of your skeleton, <laughs> <laughs> which is is such a funny observation and like something that it's a really odd way of looking at it, but it's a very true thing when you realise it. I would, it never really occurred to me that until I heard that that piece of material. Yes, in any other context yeah. that would be a horrifying thing to do. <laughs> if you had any other exposed bones that you sort of polished yeah. daily, you'd yeah. be deeply grotesque. But you know, it's a weird, it's a it's what you accept what you don't and these that, that idea that teeth are weird detachable bones is this is a very good observation. But uh, but there's lot quite a lot of uh, of facts and uh within your work, I think. And and you do seem to retain them. You seem to have that Again, I compared you beforehand to sort of Stephen Fry in terms of I think erudition and uh, and sort of recall. Such a compliment. <laughs> well, I really, mean, I, like, like genuinely, when people say, "What do you want your career to look like?" I say, sort of like Stephen Fry's. Um, although obviously he's far more he was far more successful at my age than I am. Um, but just the idea that he can do serious things and be taken seriously, and then do silly things, and nobody thinks the one detracts from the other. The idea of 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 being multifaceted. Um, and not to make it gendery, but like particularly as a woman, often you get women who are playing a particular role. You're the you're the feminist woman, or you're the serious woman, or you're the hot woman, or you're the. It's very. There are fewer um, than I would like of role models of women who have a lot of things going on. Sure, I do, well. I thought you know. I thought. Can I be hot and smart? <laughs> I thought it was. It's such a good. It's such a good hour long show. Uh, well, I think all three of them are the. But the the first one particularly, I think. Um, but it just, you know, I think also like it's it's there's a there's an element with stand up and who gets sort of pulled out and said this is the this is the great stand up. Oh, you're frozen. I don't know if you can still hear me. Are you are you moving now? I I can still hear you. Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it reminded me of Hannah Gadsby. Not that it's the same as Hannah Gadsby. Just that I could easily have seen that show being pulled out as being. Hey, this is the worldwide smash, and I love Hannah Gadsby, and I think her show's amazing, and it's great that that got pulled out. But it was quite an esoteric choice to suddenly be propelled into this worldwide fame. But it seems there seems no distinguishing reason why why Savage shouldn't have been pulled out in that same same sort of way. I think it was it's a, just other than its sort of chance, you know. Well, I'm not managed by token. No, um, that's a very rude thing to say. Hannah Gadsby's show is brilliant, and I think it was wonderful to be that it was kind of selected as an as a as as an example of a genre that's existed for a long time. But I think it was the first time the U.S. mainstream yeah, I think that's true. Um, got a hold of this got a hold, thing, this yeah. kind this of Edinburgh style show where it's Edinburgh style show where it's an emotional journey as well as just an emotional which is journey as well as comedy, which is by definition in Edinburgh. By definition in Edinburgh, with so many other shows, so many other shows. It is not enough. It is not enough to just be funny. 
um, because you won't stand because out. Because you won't if stand you're out. Just, if you're just if you're funny, if you're just funny, funny in your, your particular, particular way, way, so that so people then remember who to recommend. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that that kind of cultivates these more storytelling shows, a bit more personal shows, and I think it's a great thing that they're entering the US market. It is, but it's sort of fun. You know, it's just... I mean, I, I find this doing this podcast, and you must find it with your podcast where you interview people as well. There's just so many supremely talented people, and a lot of them, if you said their name out My in the friend. street, people wouldn't know. People wouldn't know who they are, and it's sort of. It, it, but the more I do this, the more I go, and like almost, you know, in these last few months, I've sort of deliberately been getting guests who are doing a lot of stuff online because I just I want to sort of be supportive but also I think it's interesting and also they're doing really interesting work but uh, you know the the when you start listening and watching a, a lot of what people are doing you go god there's so there's so much talent out there and you know it's like an iceberg and the public see like the little tip of the iceberg or the general public and then obviously you've obviously built up this big podcast following through all these various podcast and you and presumably you're making a living at it i hope you are because you're working very hard um so uh you know it's yeah. it, it's it's both interesting that you can be you know that you can you can have your own little world and most people don't know about it and still be successful but also it's interesting to me just what it is that what if i think it's just luck is it's just sort of happenstance and luck that that sometimes throws someone over the top in i mean i don't think hannah would have ever predicted no one would have predicted like doing an Edinburgh show and you might go oh I might win an award it might get to West End run you wouldn't think and then I'll break America and have Netflix specials you know it's sort of it's sort of fantasy stuff uh especially I think for maybe for someone like Hannah you know who wasn't who wasn't bombing out to do that mainstream show quite the opposite was trying to escape from uh, comedy but you know that what what I'm really saying is I just think that that for me there's that shows as your show's as good as Hannah's show, you know, and there's no reason why your show is not not on Netflix. <laughs> I know it's on Amazon well, this Prime, is, but this you know. the thing I've never been I've never been cool. I've never won an award. Any of those things. I always think, and maybe this is just because I've never won an award. I think always when you look at awards, um, or prizes or recognition, it's very rare that the whoever gets it doesn't deserve it. Yeah. But there's often maybe 20 or 30 people who would deserve it just as much. Sure. And in the end, it's usually about what the award givers uh, or the judges are trying to say about themselves <laughs> as to who they end up choosing of those 20 or 30. But then why haven't they chosen you shows? when you, what that would say about them is, hey, look how clever and smart I am, but also f- funny. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it, they're, they're, it's a really satisfying um show to listen to and it's fantastic that you've you've put it out as a I mean I think it's very generous for you to put it out as a podcast I'd be interested does that work as a I mean is it just a nice thing to do or does it work as a as a as a PR thing to bring people to the rest of your work if you've got that as a showcase um I'm not sure I mean certainly it got me the Amazon special sure. um the, I got the Amazon special from uh, Neil Gaiman listening to the podcast cool, yeah, yeah. and then recommending me to Amazon. So I think that it worked in that way, sort of in uh, un, unwittingly. It was not my intent. My intent was um, I'm very bad at selling stuff and I always feel guilty charging money for things and I really loved those shows. They were, you know, very much kind of um, very important to me and I wanted I wanted people to see them, I guess. Um, so I thought that would be the the least barrier to entry. Yeah. If you know how a podcast works, then you can get access to them. I think it's great. Um, I just think it's great. I don't think I don't think many people would. I don't know if I would. I mean, I think I have given away. I mean, I've given away so much in podcasts. Um, but I suppose like my my feeling early on was. I'm doing the podcast so that people will come and see the live show and maybe buy the DVD now download. Um, so it's kind of, you know, I, but but also there's a part of me that just goes, the reason I got into podcasting was I've got lots of ideas and I'd rather they were out there. And so the idea that you've got a great show, it's sort of better that it's nice that people well, are hearing it or, or getting to see it. It's kind of... The, yeah, the not it's that thing. way of, of you feel like... You feel like with comedy, particularly, particularly in the Australian and the UK scene, you have the cir- circuit, the festival annual circuit, 
and um, so you're meant to throw a show away into the past and yeah. move on and do a new show. And I didn't want that to happen with that trilogy. I wanted them to stand and sort of stand against the tide of time in that way. I didn't want them to feel outdated or like they were, you know, oh, that's the show I did five years ago. I, I, they still uh, mean something to me. And so I think that was my way of doing that. Yeah, it's good. well, it's good. So yeah, or everyone should. Everyone, I mean, there's so much to listen to you and uh, on the, online. We'll talk about some more of it. I'm going to ask you a couple of emergency questions. Just so I'm not, just so I don't stop blowing smoke yes. up your ass. <laughs> you, it's, it, you, I mean, I've got an infestation of wasps, so you? it's the only way I'm going to get them out. But wasps, <laughs> I have never, that's not. <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful image. Um, oh, look, if you could have a sexual superpower, see, beforehand, they were all erudite. Here they, here, here they come. If you could have a sexual superpower, what would it be? A sexual superpower, yeah. what would it be? Um, does, ooh, oh, that's a very yeah. good question. I'm, I've got a lot I of really think it would. Yeah, I think it would be um, sort of like a dashboard <laughs> where you could see how things were going. Um, well, like a, one of those... Big, so you those... could like... The, the, and you can move things around on it with, with uh, you know, digital rather than imaginary hologram yeah. kind of thing. Just so, yeah, it would be nice to know. I think if you could see into the mind of the, it would probably be bad when I wouldn't like my. But not into the, not into the mind. No. Because you don't know, you don't necessarily want that. Don't want but into the kind of the, the um, arousal landscape. Yeah. And I would like to have that power. And I would like to have that power to give that to the person who was hanging out with me. <laughs> If only there was some way to tell them, Alice. If only we could. If only we could communicate somehow. I mean, that's too stressful. I think sometimes it's too stressful, or it distracts you because I feel like not to get too detailed. As I said, I don't talk about my relationships yes. uh, on stage, but I think that um, you know sometimes you need to concentrate, and uh, telling somebody how things are going requires you to uh, tap into a different part of your. Um, mental uh, capacity. Yes, it's a terrible minefield. I'm glad, you know, in many ways. It's a get, terrible minefield. Once you're married, you're kind of out of it. You know, it's it's all it's all over, and you hopefully know the person. What a series you're with. of coloured lights and dials <laughs> yeah. that I can use to suggest things, because you know I'm very vocal in my real life. But yeah, when I, you it know, would I, be I useful. Sometimes but, you need know. to tap out of the vocal sphere. Yeah, it's good. I mean, I'm no, 100% with you, and there are just sometimes you're plugging away at something, and you think. Is this, is this doing it? Is this working? Give me something. Yeah, and it could be working so well that they can't tell you how exactly. Well it's you don't know, and that telling you how well it's working uh, while soothing your ego would take them off the yeah. um, game of your choice. Slippery dip. I don't know. Um, yeah, Merry go round. Roller coaster. But if you could read their mind, rather, I mean, it would be fascinating. I think you would never be able to have sex with anyone again. Because it would be too you, horrific what they were thinking, and they'd be thinking about other people. Oh, and they'd... You know, I do not love the idea that like women's sexual response is so complicated and <laughs> mystical. But at the same time, sometimes I'll be thinking about the ocean. Okay. You know, and yep. that's hot. You know, like, <laughs> but then sometimes it won't be. So I feel like, yeah, maybe actually, you know, clockwise on a Tuesday, counterclockwise on a Wednesday. <laughs> You know, the eagle comes at night. Like it is sometimes. It's a little bit mis mysterious. Good. I will ask you one more emergency question, then I've got to talk to you about more of your work. Um, <laughs> just uh, th this question's but just popped in mind. But you do have a piece of <laughs> material that involves this word. What was the last thing that you bleached? <laughs> uh, the last thing that I bleached was this very shirt. Oh, that's. Cool. Um, I'm I'm not a big I, I'm not a personal fan of anal bleaching. No, well I know I that from your from your work. That. So as much as you don't talk about your relationships, I know how you feel about anal bleaching. And the, I love the, this again. This is from the same stand-up show. The futility of vanity in the face of death. That's a that's a. You don't get that with many stand-up shows. You don't get that line in many. <laughs> Poo holes well, you know, are brown and we're meant to do. die. That's 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 the philosophy of your show, without giving too much away. But uh, well, yes, I mean it's you know death's an. I mean I've done a show about death and death is uh, 
my own mortality is playing on my mind more than it would have done uh, at the moment. Uh, and it is a really interesting thing to uh, tackle through comedy, either losing someone or your one's own mortality, because it... It really, you know, I think a lot of people feel like if you're joking about something, then you're not taking it seriously. But I think it's the way to process, isn't it? It's the well, there's sort of two things that I think are important there. Like, so it's hard to make jokes about death because, like, the classical definition of comedy is that it turns out well in the end. Of you know, a kind of Aristotelian idea of comedy is that you know it ends happily for the characters, and death by necessity doesn't. But that narrative structure doesn't need to end at the death or the point of the show doesn't need to be the death or even if it is it doesn't need to be a sad thing there are different ways to tell that story you know the difference between a tragedy and a comedy is where you start where you open the curtains and where you close the curtains you can you can close the curtains when Romeo and Juliet hook up and that's a great love story about two underage people who don't really know their own minds um but, but so that I think I think it's hard to talk about death, but it can be done. And the other thing is that there's kind of two ways of doing comedy about tragedy or about sad things. And one of them I really didn't want to do with the trilogy. So that's um, that's that kind of Mel Brooks dark humour where you, you take the take the threatening thing or the dangerous thing or the horrible sad thing and you pull the air out of it. You make it funny, you make it ridiculous, you make it dumb. You make it less weighty and serious and important by poking fun at it. I really didn't want to do that with with my mum's story. I didn't want to make her seem ridiculous or the situation seem ridiculous. So the way I did that structurally was to do a funny thing and then a sad thing and then a funny thing and then a sad thing. And it was um, like uh, like the old movies where you run them together and you give the impression that it's all light because there are enough moments of light in among the darkness that it you, you come back to light uh, enough times that the audience feels safe and they feel reassured and they know that they can go with you to this dark place uh, but you know but you are making by doing that you're making people <laughs> consider their own mortality which is you know again I've spent my whole life considering my own mortality and yet I still think I don't think I'm gonna die um <laughs> deep deep down so when something happens that make you think oh i could i could actually die uh it's it sort of it's sort of like a little epiphany because it's sort of you i think we feel that we're you know with a you feel that from your point of view you're the star of this film and they can't t you know they can't take you out because it'll ruin it'll ruin the rest of the movie if we go because we're the main characters um but uh, it is quite hard to really contemplate it, right? Which Unless you've been faced with it. Yes. Yeah, and then it's very hard not to contemplate it at all times and to not let it overshadow your, your life. I think you have to have some form of, not belief, um, some form of philosophy, some approach. For me, you know, the, the, the helplessness of watching death um, of being witness to this was so um, profound that it shaped the rest of my life in terms of A, working too hard, B, um, you know, what I think about my job in life. I don't really believe in an afterlife or anything like that, so I think my duty to my mum is to carry on the good things about her. The, the shadows that she cast into the world is, is my job to extend those shadows. So. She was very good at talking to people. She was very interested in people. I'm not naturally that interested in people, but I have now, you know, gotten better at that because it was such a wonderful thing about mum. Like, she'd be in the hospital in some dreadful state with either her MS or later on with her cancer, and the nurse would walk in, and she'd been in the hospital for six hours, and you'd gone to get a cup of tea. The nurse would come in, and she'd be like, oh, this is Gerda. She's from Sweden. She has three children. And you're just like, how do you do that how do you care about somebody else when you're in pain or distress or trouble she had this incredible quality about her that i think is the thing that i'd like to carry forward and that's my kind of really philosophy liked, or approach i think what i really liked about the show is where you just get the audience to sing a song with you and they readily <laughs> join. i mean they so readily join in and it's lovely it's everyone and it just sort of reminds you that most people are just quite nice you know i think like we, we've got to this point where we think people are bad and 
there's complicated things in the world. And most people, actually, if you start singing a song with a banjo behind it that they know, they will just immediately join in. And it's sort of, and it's it's just so simple what you do with that. But it's But it really was heartwarming to me that, just all these different voices, some singing well and not some not singing that well, just all got on board with, with that song. It's just a lovely moment. Yeah, I really wanted people to feel human in that show and be aware of the humanity of the people around them. And that is such a nice thing. It's just such a nice thing to do is to sing with people. And we don't do it enough anymore. Maybe Christmas carols is the only place. Just because people don't do it very often, I was just thought, isn't it great that people join? There was, if you, in one of your um, podcasts, you were talking, I think this was maybe uh, Tea with Alice, which I've, I've there is one with me on. That's one of our three comp- long conversations yes. we've had. Um Yes, uh, indeed. But you were talking about this is something I've been thinking about about, about social media, uh, and it's something I've been trying to do but failing quite a little bit. Is to every time <laughs> that uh, you feel like calling someone a cunt or being snarky, <laughs> you know, someone says something stupid, and you know, you'd, you'd sort of swear back at them or you'd uh, are dismissive, uh, and you're idea was to rather than doing that to not do I've good my idea is to not do it which I've been quite successful at, but not totally successful at and just not put negativity into the world but your idea is instead to go and say two nice things about somebody else which I think yeah but I think that could really I don't know if people would do it but it wouldn't take that many people to start doing it because the the power of positivity it, well, it, it's interesting with the International Women's Day where I've, for 10 years I've done this, finding all the people asking when's International Men's Day and sort of taking the piss out of them for a good reason, I think. I, but um, but then on last International Men's Day, I got everyone to say who their favourite man was and what, you know, who, who'd inspired them. And that was such a nice day. The day where I do the negative thing, which is, you know, self-defeating negative thing, is so galling and unpleasant uh, to do. And the day where I got everyone just to say, just say one nice thing about one man. <laughs> Let's be positive about men. It was so lovely. And I think that's, that. you know, I don't know whether that's really just a switch that we can turn in our heads and that would that would all make it good. Or because, like, you know, again, I think a lot you were talking about this a lot in the shows, but people put on in social media have this pretense about being nice or saying, oh, I think this, <laughs> but, you know, actually just being a positive and nice person on social media, you're much more likely to spread ideas that way than by clamping down on someone for not having the right opinion about the subject that you think they should have and calling them a cunt, you know, it's not, Yeah. that's not how to persuade people, is it? No, that came from... Um my i was i was walking in the street with a friend and a car hopped the curb and nearly hit me and my friend uh sort of she stopped driving she was in a four-wheel drive she was one of these sort of eastern suburbs eastern suburbs sydney drivers is a very small lady in a very big car with very big lips it's a particular type of lady and uh my friend said what are you doing didn't you see that you could have hit alice and and she looked shocked and upset and he said you bitch and you could just see her whole face shut down. She went from really thinking about what she'd done in that moment to this mean man was mean to me and I'm in the right. In just that second, it was when I was in my 20s and it was so, like, it was such a profound, like, just watching her face change between one second and the next, between being open to uh, change and growth and to being completely shut down. And it made me think, you know, how do you change people's minds? I'm obviously, like, I'm obsessed with rhetoric and persuasive speech. That's my kind of academic background. And it's what I've always been interested in is how you get an idea from your head into somebody else's head. Because for me, and again, maybe this is not for everyone, but one of the best feelings in the world is, ah, where something connects and and you, you, you get the idea. That light bulb moment or that epiphany, even if it's just a new fact, is just oh this is so cool and I want to share that I want to so for me the the process of getting it from my head into other people's head is what I'm I'm really interested in and you don't get ideas into other people's heads by shouting at them you just don't like it's so rare anyone any any situation where I've had people you know berate you for something it's very hard 
to make that to then go okay i'm on your side now all it does is sort of harden you up against which again you see again and again people get obsessed about an idea or a uh, you know a political thing usually and then they get they get criticized for it and then rather than being open to it they'll harden because because they're being told they're wrong and told they're being awful it's very hard to go oh you think i'm awful oh i'll change and be good then you you're more likely to harden up and go no I'm definitely right, or at least, you know, the the people who you defend yourself in the moment, and you might, might, might think about it later. Um, but it is also that thing of of also people are not just attacking your actions. Very often, they will attack you as a whole. So if you did something wrong, they don't say you did this wrong thing. They say you are a wrong person. You're a kind of wrongness, and in the in being that kind of wrongness, you are part of a massive wave of wrongness, a whole history of wrongness. You are like every other person who has been wrong in this way. You are, you know, rather than... You, you said something insensitive. That was an insensitive thing to say. That hurt my feelings. It's you're a Nazi, you know? Like, it, all of a sudden it's this gen massive generalisation where you don't recognise yourself in their criticism because the criticism is so extreme. And even the person doing the, critici the criticising probably doesn't feel that extremely. It, the nature of often online discourse is that it flattens things out so you feel like you have to scream to punch through and to make a... You, ca you can't just say, oh, that was unpleasant. You have to say, that was the worst thing in the world. That's murder. Um, in order to be heard, you feel like that because you're screaming at your screen and you're imagining the world through it. And you don't understand that on the other side of that... They're not receiving it from a distance. They're, they're receiving it in their hand, in their pocket, in their, in their heart at night when they're vulnerable and alone, this high volume intensity attempt to persuade them. And it's, I think it's interesting that I think... Sorry, I'm such a nerd about no, it. No, no, it's good. <laughs> but it's interesting, I think, that by being critical and mean, it often comes from, you know, when someone seeks someone out in order to tell them that they hate them, I think that that's obviously coming from a place of pain in the person doing it and actually doing it. I don't think that it might give them a moment of feeling like, uh, you know, it might give them a moment of feeling like, oh, well, I've, you know, I've got one over on them. But it's it's actually such a negative thing that it probably just eats away more. And then actually going out and doing something that is is positive, I think, just makes you feel better about yourself as well. So it, it is interesting to go rather than. I often said that to people, you know, rather than coming to find a comedian you don't like, why don't you go and find a comedian you do like and tell them that you like them? Because that will make them happy yeah. and they'll make you happy that you've, that you've spread that. I just wondered if that was... Because that's sort of what you're doing. Is it work? Are you, are you, are you managed to keep up with that? And is it working for you? Or have you started? It does It, it does work for me. Uh, it is that thing of... of like it, It's a little artificial. It's a little cheesy. Um but it does it works and i do i really strongly believe that like you aren't just who you are like you cultivate certain things in your character and your personality in the same way as with exercise you know you cultivate particular muscles and you you know get fit in certain ways and flexible in certain ways and unfit in certain ways and un inflexible in certain ways i think it's an incredibly important thing to think about your own mind in that way and what am i feeding my mind what am i what am I cultivating? What weights am I lifting with my mind? What effort am I putting in? What am I building up? What am I letting go? Um, you know, without being one of those people who's kind of self-help robot person. person I, um, I think there's a, um, there's a middle ground where, which isn't just like, I'm going to tell everyone I love them. I think it's just, you know, it's nice. It's lovely to get a compliment, usually, you know, if it's delivered in the right way. The problem with the internet is you can, some people think they're giving out compliments when they're just being <laughs> weird and creepy. But what's wrong with you? Oh, oh. <laughs> I said yeah, you had a nice really, ass. Yeah. What's wrong with you? It was a compliment. Um, it's, um, yeah, I think the, the, it, the weirdest one is the like very intrusive questions, as though they have a right. I had someone say, "How much do you weigh?" Right. The other day. Yeah. And I was like, "Why? Like, we're never going to meet. How is this relevant to you?" Well, this I find as a comedian, the instinct is to come back, and I find it very hard if someone's being offensive or rude. Or yeah, over familiar. Uh, like there was a there was a I'd said something sarcastic about Meghan and Harry about the about the the, the people accused of the, you know the, the hypocrisy of the papers basically. But I couched it in sarcasm, knowing that some people would take it seriously, even though it was very extreme. 
And then someone got cross with me, said, you know, and they obviously agreed with me. And I said, but look, you, this is, I'm joking and I agree with you. And they were still, they were still going, no, but, you know, how dare you? And I just wanted to go, oh, you know, we, you, I, how can you be angry with someone who is saying the same thing as you, you cunt? I think I wrote out and then, and then I did take Deleted. that one back. Oh, so many, <laughs> but so I did. many horrible insults in my drafts folders. <laughs> and I feel so, this is the, the other thing though. If you don't send it, you feel really satisfied with yourself. You yeah. feel morally good for yeah. having done nothing. For it's like also, you've literally done nothing. And you're like, I'm a great person. <laughs> <laughs> it is also fun though sometimes to, you know, respond to someone who's being a dick by really letting them have it. <laughs> so that's the problem that's my problem uh hey let's quickly talk so you've been working up we all know about the bugle but there's a so there's a new podcast coming out called the gargle yes. so tell us about what that is is it is it are there any episodes out yet i haven't listened to it yet. the first episode is coming out this weekend and uh it's it's exciting for me it's really exciting for me to work with uh, Andrew Zaltzman and the whole Bugle team, they're so lovely and they've been so good to me, I've been so lucky with that. Um, but what I wanted to do was uh, a show where I never had to write another Trump joke or another Brexit joke. Um, this, uh, this, When we were planning this, Trump was still in power and it, it was, I just wanted to do the kind of the satirical news thing, which I, I like that process of finding out how to take a serious story and, and make it funny or, or take a, a, a um, complicated story and make it a, a digestible, which I think for many people, satirical news is that. It's their way of understanding the news. So I wanted to do that, but I also have written so... Like, the news cycle is so repetitive now, particularly when it comes to politics, and this this cycle is, is so upsetting, and I'm still, you know, I'm writing for the news quiz and I'm still doing the bugle regularly, and I just didn't... Like you write, you write the joke eventually after, you know, a hundred times or whatever, you write the joke that you think encompasses Brexit. And that's, you're like, that's it. That's the joke. I don't want to write another joke. And then you have to do it again the next week. Like for me with Brexit, it was Brexit never has so much hot air lifted so few balloons. And for Trump, it was, I wouldn't take an IOU from Trump if he wrote it on the money he owed me. And then... Like, you, you're done. Like, that, for me, encompasses my feelings, and I've done the joke, and then I have to do it again. So, uh, it's like a glossy weekend magazine show, The Gargle. It's your, it's your weekend pull-out section of the audio newspaper for, for a visual world that is The Bugle. It's great, but, the, you know, The Bugle's such a big success, and it's nice to have a, a spin-off. It's more work for you. It's yes. crazy. But uh, yes, that's good. Well, I'm very much looking forward to that. And the, but I mean, if people want to, I mean, there's you know, as with me, I sort of feel like no one can ever catch, no one new can ever catch up with <laughs> with what I've done. Uh, and uh, no. I think that must be true of, as of you as well. But it, there's lots of great uh, podcasts to to dip into if you. Uh, I mean, there's one about trolls as well, isn't there? There's all there's 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 a million. Yes. My goodness. Right, I'm going to ask you another question. Have you ever flown a kite? And have you done it successfully? Yes, I have flown a kite. I have done it successfully. As a child, yeah, my uh, my dad um, took us out on a number of windy afternoons, me and my uh, twin brother, and we flew, we flew kites. And uh, it was a, a lot of fun. There's a kite festival down at Bondi Beach in Sydney every year and I, that was an annual thing where we'd go and there would be these huge, you know, very impressive kites in the sky and people doing uh, kite surfing, which is an incredible thing to watch, um, but also is looks very stupid. It looks like a very stupid thing to do, but it also looks like a lot of fun um, being sort of skimmed along the waves on the kite and then they get lifted up into the air. Um, but yeah, so I think we were inspired by the kite festival as children, so we'd go and fly our little... little I th I say I'm quite obsessed having kids about what they'll remember, uh, and when when those first memories come, and I that's I but I you can't uh, Matt I kind of want my daughter to remember this great day we had with each other, uh, and whether she will or not. But I think there's a there's something about kites because they're not an everyday thing, and they are they're sort of a little bit of when they work they're a little bit of magic, so I'm kind of hoping that that will be a. A memory for my daughter, but I don't know. Um, you've frozen again on my screen. You're back. 
You're frozen. I am back. I'm back. I'm trying to figure out what's happening here with the internet. It's, yeah, it's going a little um, bit awry, but it will work in the podcast. And you know, it's not. It's bit. It's absolutely astoundingly incredible that we are having this conversation. I don't. You know, I would never have thought. Phenomenal. Of, I would never have thought of doing this. I don't think without lockdown. I would never have thought. Oh, why don't I do some just talking to people around the world? It's crazy that I wouldn't have thought of it. But it's become so easy to do it, and you know. I've had worse connections with people who are, you know, 20 miles away than I have here. So, so it is sort of, uh, it's astonishing. Um, I wanted to ask you as a twin, I know you don't do any material about your brother, but are you psychically connected to your to your twin, having spent those nine I... months together? Look, we spent a lot of time together as children as well. We sort of yeah, brought each the, other up. Yeah, but it's the psychic a, bit a inside wild. the room. It's in utero no, that I it can happens. look at him and tell what he's thinking, but I think that's more due to custom than uh, any kind of inherent ability. Um, although I always wanted to be able, we like we have our own secret language. Yeah. Is that is that a thing? Yeah, that's good. Well, yeah. I, that, that sort of stuff fascinates me. And do you still can you still talk to each other in it now? Do you remember it? Oh yeah, it's mainly yeah. an eyebrow code. <laughs> that's good. Do, do you get as a twin? Do you do you as you're the same? So my kids are different ages, and they're they've got to a sort of fighty age now, where the little one annoys the big one, and uh, and the big one just enjoys inflicting a bit of pain on the little one. Do you when you're going through life as a sibling who's the same age as your sibling? Does that bring you closer together or drive you further apart? You're obviously close, but yeah, we we had um, we had a bickering phase, but for the most part, it was us against the world a yeah. little bit. Um, so I, I like that. Okay, yeah. and how far does the eyebrow language he's a good, go? He's is a good it little just brother. is the eyebrow language? I should talk more about the eyebrow language. Can, how, how complicated things can you? Yeah, just started doing it. How, what complicated things can you say with your eyebrow? How how is it just? That's a surprise. Is it mainly that? That's a because that's not like <laughs> what a surprise. Oh, I'm a bit quizzical that's about a this. Surprise! I'm the rock. That's basically it. That's it. <laughs> What's the most complicated thing you can say in eyebrow language? Um, we need to talk about this later. Um, <laughs> this is, is this as weird as I think it is? Uh, help, help, rescue me! This man's a creep. Good. Uh, yeah. If you sent, if you just sent that, that out to your brother been... just now, this boy's, this man's obsessed with our eyebrows. <laughs> help, get me out of here. <laughs> I'm I'm very that's that's very exciting. I once I, I had a lady tell me yeah um that I should get my eyebrows waxed. Okay. That would ruin you it. You need to get your eyebrows waxed. And well, my eyebrows, my eyebrows, my eyebrows have started once my, you get them waxed you'll never go back. Yeah. My eyebrows have sort of started Enslaved. either going light or falling. Look, I've got this I used to have very dark eyebrows and there's now there's just that bit and there is something here but Getting old's terrible. Mascara in them. I might do. I might have to. I might have to put them in. Should I just have very dark eyebrows and nothing else? Do you think yes. anyone would notice? Suddenly next nothing week, nothing else. Just like big brown lines. Oh goodness. Um, look, it's been. I really appreciate you getting up so early. I'm glad we delayed it by an hour. And that wasn't out of politeness. That was just because I had something else going on, uh, and I well, didn't realise it was quite so early there. Um, so no, thank you very much for getting the deal. And uh, I get. Thank you so much for having me. No, it's, it's been, been so so lovely. It's been great. I absolutely heartily recommend everything that you do to all of the people who. I must stop doing this because then they'll go and listen to your podcast and they won't have time to listen to my podcast. <laughs> I must stop recommending. It's not, not a zero come, sum I game. Must stop a being zero so come game. Well, I hope so. <laughs> it's not a zero sum game. Uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. Okay, I hope Abby. so. You I can only be in one boat at a time. I hope you're right. I think it's important that the best thing gets the listeners. So you know, you're better than me, and people should people should transfer their allegiance. Fight, also, fight, you look fight, like fight. you um, look like I think you look like the product of a Greek god and a heraldic lion, and that is why people should go to your podcast because that is your look. And th on that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> the eyebrows have said help and we've lost her i think she's Ryan, who's on top <laughs> she's, she's just i was i was okay i was making a filthy joke yeah, she's, so she's hung up in disgust oh she's back uh look thanks for, uh, the internet's trying to tell us it's time to no. end 
I am back. Uh, I was just making a filthy joke. I love filthy jokes. I'll listen to it on the podcast. Come on my recording. Thanks so much, Alice. Uh, <laughs> next week we're doing another. We're doing one from an, with an American next week. Uh, we've got uh, Mary Lynn Rice Cub, I believe is how you pronounce her name, from Twenty Four and the Larry Sanders Show. She's awesome, uh, Mister Show as well. She worked with David Cross, uh, so do tune in for that. For now, ladies and gentlemen, the amazing Alice Fraser. Thank you so much. Goodbye. <laughs> You have been listening to Rahalastapa with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Alice Fraser. The music you are listening to is by Pest. You know that. Why am I telling you anything? You know all of this. You know that I'm indebted to my friend and director, producer, Chris Evans. Not that one or that one or the one from Daily Telegraph or the politician ones or any of the other ones. This one, the Go Faster Stroke one. Uh, I'm indebted to uh, the British Comedy Guide and everyone at ACAS, everyone at Ian Tunes' place. You know who you are. I'm also indebted to Kathleen McKeegan, who does research for this podcast by writing down everything that happens in on her wonderful website, rahalastapa.com. This is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Go to GoFasterStripe.com slash badges, become a monthly badger, get all kinds of benefits. Check your balls, check your boobs, check your boobs, even if you're a man. Do go to the doctors if you have any concerns. The NHS, despite everything that is being thrown at it, is a fantastic place. Thanks for listening. See you next time, my fine, 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 fine friend. <laughs>